Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Hey, this is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm your host, Justin. And hey, we are helping you turn cities upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we're giving you scriptural motivations and strategies so you can get out there and get some stuff done for your king, King Jesus, that is. Listen, we're not here doing it all for you, but I'm telling you, we're all in this together. And the Lord is calling on you to be a part. Listen, friends, there's a vast army, but there's a gap. And that gap might be you. Make sure you are on the front lines, friends. The tip of the spear. You know, that's what the Lord has said about us several times. Um, is that we are kind of part, part, we're part, part of the tip of the spear. There's other ministries that are out there. And you know what? It was one of the, I don't know how to say it. It was one of those prayers that I prayed one day that has messed me up for the better and uh, rearranged me f- for good. Hallelujah. And it was a prayer. I said, God, I want to be right in the middle of what you're doing. I don't want to be off over here on the left and to the right in La La Land doing our own thing. I want to be right in the middle. And you know what? He began to answer that prayer. And it was the most expensive thing I've ever done. Hallelujah. It was the most costly prayer I've ever prayed, but I never regret it. Hallelujah. We're right out there, friends. And so this is the call. All right, this is the call. At the sound of my voice, the Lord is saying, get in your place. Hallelujah. We got a race to run and there's a grace to empower you to fulfill it and to stand in your place. You know, when you go back and you look at David's mighty men, one of the things that was said about David's mighty men, this is one of the things that actually made them mighty. This was part of the mightiness that they walked in is they knew their rank. Hallelujah. They knew their place and they stayed in their place and it all worked together. Those who were above them, those who were behind them, those who were out next to them, everybody was in their place. I mean, full on, I mean, focused and, and intent on accomplishing their assignment. And I pray that through our podcast, through this broadcast that we do weekly, that it's encouraging you as we are serious about our place that it's encouraging you to be serious about your place. Hallelujah. All right, let's get into this. And, uh, you know, what interesting times that we live in. And it calls for men and women to rise up strong in the word of the Lord. Men and women, you and me, just like you and me, you're normal every day human being, it's calling for us to rise up strong and stand strong on the word of the Lord. You know, the Bible says that they shall know their God and they shall do exploits. Listen, exploits are on the agenda today and are in our future, but we've got to know him and know his word and not be moved by what we see, not be moved by what we feel and uh, we're going to do amazing things. You will be a demonstration. I, I, I mean, we're not setting out to be somebody spectacular. That's not the point. Um, but I'm just saying, if you just do the word, if you just stand on the word, if you just trust in the word, if your life is marked 
by a reliance on the word, you're going to stand out in a world that is just tossed to and fro by every opposition of the enemy, every deceit, every lie, every tactic of Satan and the devil and demons and other minions. But if you just stand strong on the word, you're going to stand out as a demonstrative, as a demonstration, as a manifestation of the power of heaven, friends. Hallelujah. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for myself. And uh, that's what we're going to experience. All right, now let's look at this because in light of some things that have been stirring in my heart, uh, things that are happening in the nation, things that are happening, uh, happening globally, pressures that are being applied, uh, we want to look at flourishing in a time of drought. And I think of this passage in Genesis where the Lord led Isaac to sow in famine, and the Bible says that he reaped a hundredfold. Listen, any um, naturally smart person would probably say that sowing in a time of famine or sowing in a time of drought is probably not the best strategic move. But that's if you follow the rules of the natural. And uh, we've done several podcasts where we talked about there are spiritual laws. Uh, in fact, let's let's turn there. Go to Romans 8. This isn't in my notes, but hallelujah, Holy Spirit's drawing me this way. It says this, that um, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Now, you... You've got two options here. You can walk according to the flesh or you can walk according to the spirit. Even if you're born again, you can still choose to do as the flesh wants. That's Galatians. Galatians really deals with that. And really Romans 7 as well. Paul talks about this, but you have a choice. You don't have to walk according to the flesh because you're born again. Now you have access to spiritual realities. You have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. You have illumination. Your spirit is the lamp of the Lord now. Hallelujah. Now you have unction, you have revelation, you have understanding, you have a knowing, and you are privy now to other laws that are greater than the laws of the natural realm. This is where I want to go with this because we're talking about how do you flourish in a time of famine? Who, what laws, what rules abide or um, are available to those that could sow in a time of famine and yet still reap a hundredfold. What laws are in operation? Spiritual laws. And they supersede natural laws. Hallelujah. Look at this. He says, verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So listen, there are laws that govern spirits that are alive with Zoe life. If you're born again, part of your inheritance package, come on somebody, is a is the access now or the availability to come under laws that are higher than natural laws. These laws will supersede natural laws. This is how the miraculous takes place. There's something higher that overwhelms, overpowers, or supersedes natural laws. Someone says, well, Man, that's a phenomenon, or that's impossible. No, it's not impossible, or we could say it like this. It's impossible according to the natural law, but it's not impossible according to spiritual law. 
So if you walk according to the Spirit, if you do as you're led, remember Romans goes on to say, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into supernatural demonstrations, or he's going to give you the awareness of certain laws that if you will abide by them, they will supersede natural laws. And people will look at you and go, how in the world did that happen for you? How did you do that? How did you do this? That doesn't make sense. That must be miraculous. Yes, friend, it is miraculous. It's normative. Is that a word? Hallelujah. Normative. It is normal. It is a normal reality in the spiritual realm. But most of us are more acquainted with the natural realm. And so some of these things, uh, they don't make sense to us. At least they don't make sense to the natural but they're perfectly sensible in the spiritual. And he says this, if you're born again, if you don't walk according to the flesh, if you walk according to the spirit, if you'll do as the word leads, if you'll do as the spirit leads, then there are laws, laws that govern spirits that are alive with Zoe life. And they will, uh, in essence, set you free or they exempt you from the laws that govern the natural realm, which, by the way, are the laws of sin and death. Everything in the natural is on a degradating curve, on a trajectory towards death, but not you, friend, not if you're born again. And this is why he says those who know their God will do exploits. Why? Because now you're privy to different laws. Hallelujah. So Isaac, he's, the Lord told Isaac, I, I, I want you to sow. And he's like, God, there's a famine out here. Oh, yeah, God's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, man, I'm sorry. I wasn't even paying, paying attention, man. I don't even know what's going on. I mean, yeah, right? God already knew that. What was he doing? He was introducing. He was. It was an invitation to Isaac to begin the taste of the law of the spirit of life that would supersede natural law, natural reality under normal circumstances under normal law in the natural if you sow in a time of famine that seed is not going to get the water the nourishment etc the 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 soil is going to be too too dry whatever all the natural science is behind that that would be the normal condition but when you have a revelation and you have the word of the lord and if you'll put the word first place if you'll give the word preeminence it will adjust everything uh, in order that the word would have preeminence and that the word would bear fruit of itself. Listen, remember what he said. He said, his word is does not return void. It will profit in the thing into which it was sent if you will allow it to have preeminence. And Isaac did just that. Uh, in essence, he could have had a conversation like this. Father, I receive your word. I receive your instruction. You're telling me to sow right now in a time of famine. I mean, everybody right now is moaning and groaning about the famine. Everybody is taking uh, precautions and going to plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. And they are scrambling to respond to the famine. But you're telling me, I want you to sow. So, Father, even though it may not make sense to my natural man, it's making faith in my spirit. I'm going to act on your word and I'm going to do exactly as you have revealed. I'm going to put this seed in the ground. And you know what the Bible says in Genesis 
uh, you know what it says happened? He reaped a hundredfold. He reaped a hundredfold. I mean, this is an enormous harvest. Uh, under normal conditions, it would have been an enormous harvest. But even despite the conditions, this was miraculous. That's what I want to talk about, friends. The Lord wants us to flourish. And uh, there is a quasi drought happening right now. I mean, the cost of living has gone up. Food costs have gone up. Fuel has gone up. Other things have gone up. You know, utilities have gone up. Just everything's gone up. And uh, it, it fe- there's a pressure. There's a real pressure. Um, how are we going to respond? Well, here's, here's what I've got my faith on. Uh, for more income. Hallelujah. Uh, to ride on the back, if you will, of laws that exempt me from the natural laws and natural circumstances or results from said reality in the natural realm. Listen, if this realm has a trajectory of death, well, I'm born again. The Bible says I'm born of the word. That's in Peter. We're born of the spirit. That's in John. Uh, We have Zoe life. The father granted that the son would have life just as he has life. Jesus said, I came to give you this, this life. All right, so we got life on the inside of us. We are, we are alive. I, you know, this is maybe not the best way to say this, but we are uh, carriers of life. We have the spirit of life. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, what is that? That's the spirit of life. That's Zoe. That's on the inside of us. If you're born again, that's on the inside of me. I'm exempt from the laws that govern spirits that don't have zoe those are the laws of sin and death those laws govern those spirits that have yet to receive the spirit of life born again they're not new creations there's other laws that govern those beings human beings we're born again we're new creations in christ jesus there are other laws that govern spirits that have Zoe life in them. Hallelujah. You know, you, you know, if we could see in the spirit realm, you stand out like a sore thumb. I mean, I hate to say it like that. I hate to use a negative to express a positive, but uh, we stand out. You know why? Because you're full of light. The Bible says you are children of the light. Therefore, walk in the light as he, your father, is in the light. Listen, there's a whole nother set of rules. There's a whole nother set of laws. We want to take advantage of those laws. We want to ride on the back, if you will, of those laws. What will those laws do? Give you lift over and above the pull downward of natural laws. These are not weird. They're unusual, maybe. They're spiritual. They're not natural. They're supernatural. They are of the light. They're not of the dark. They are of life. They're not of death. They give you lift, meaning they exalt you. They don't pull you downward. Hallelujah. These are laws designed to get you up seated in a right-hand place, not ones that pull you down under the feet of that which is in dominion. Hallelujah. You understand? So the Bible 
is this revelation of how you and I can respond to pressures that uh, are trying to encroach on us. But um, I'm thinking of, thank you, Lord, yeah. Remember when Paul uh, said something, he, he, he was being treated a certain way and he responded to this treatment and says, wait a second, I am a Roman citizen. Remember, see, see, they didn't, they weren't thinking. They weren't, th- that wasn't in their thinking. Maybe, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they thought that he was a citizen from another country. But see, he had rights and privileges because of his citizenship. This, this is what I'm saying. We have rights and privileges based upon our point of citizenship, where uh, we are born from. The Bible says born from above the heavenly Mount Zion. Listen, that's where we're born from. We're here uh, as ambassadors, but we have rights and privileges that are based upon our homeland. And uh, this is this is very key for us right now because we want to walk in the reality of the spiritual laws, the rights and privileges that are afforded to us because of who we, whose we are and who we are. We are born again spirit beings. All right. Now, with that foundation and uh, framework, let's get into this. So I want to talk about a covenant matter of flourishing, even when there's a quasi drought going on, when, even when it seems like, um, you know, where's our provision? You know, where's it going? It's like more provision is going into things suddenly uh, than what it used to. And you may be feeling the pressure of how are you going to navigate this? Where are, where are you, uh, where, where's your provision going to come from? And uh, I'm telling you, we are going to release our faith today. We've been in a state of releasing our faith, but we're going to release our faith for income. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's to come in. God's going to sustain us. And wherever he's leading us, uh, particularly with this concept of sowing, that that seed has something on it and it's going to produce an abundance even when natural circumstances might say otherwise. Look at uh, Proverbs 10, 22. He says this. Oh, I mean, this is one of my favorites. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow or we could add this thought and other translations would substantiate this. He requires no toil for it uh, or he adds no toil with it or no sorrow with it. The word sorrow and toil can be interchanged throughout scripture. So the blessing makes rich and he requires no toil for it. For what? For the increase for the abundance, for the abounding, for the flourishing. He does not require toil for the abundance. Now, in the natural realm, that's how that works. But again, we said that because we're born again, we're privy. We have access now to other spiritual laws that supersede these natural laws. We're in the natural realm. And 
it is uh, expected that these uh, provisions through these spiritual laws, that these provisions would be visible, tangible. That's what I've got my faith on. I mean, this is not just some um, fantastical thing. Uh, no, 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 no. Th- this is to manifest. It's to be demonstrative. It's to be tangible. There's a passage in Zechariah. He says that I will make you a symbol and a source of the blessing. You're to be recognized Uh, Other people are to see something happening, functioning. Um, Let me add this thought in here. So Obed-Edom, who was Obed-Edom? Well, Obed-Edom, praise God, volunteered to have the Ark of the Covenant stay at his home. And if, if you go into the Bible story, when the presence of the Lord was in this man's life and on his property, everything responded to it. Everything responded to it. The blessing began to overtake him, and it required no effort on his part. There wasn't any so, uh, sorrow involved in this. There wasn't any toil for it. No, he simply made room for the Ark of the Covenant. He made room for God's presence, and therefore he made room for the blessing of the Lord. Listen, when when God comes to stay at your house, <laughs> Listen, friends, he will assume the expenses. I mean, that is, wow, that is a spiritual law. That is a spiritual reality. And Obed-Edom was a type of you and I who could host the presence. And our entire life and our properties and our things would come under the blessing because of the presence of the Lord in our midst. This is one of my most favorite verses because it reminds us of what redemption has purchased for us, that we no longer are under the curse. You know, toil was part of the curse in Genesis 3, and through sweat and thorns and thistles, there would be all this resistance, like the natural reality of the work that we do in the natural, uh, the natural because of the trajectory. It just produces thorns and thistles and weeds, and you have to work through that. But the blessing or the empowerment of the Lord which is only accessible through being born again and coming under the law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, the laws that govern spirits that have Zoe life in them. That would be you and me. And when we come under those laws, guess what? You are redeemed from by right of birth. There is an empowerment that comes on you. This is grace where the blessing now uh, comes on what you do and now thorns and thistles and all that kind of stuff become diminished um, in relation to the power of the blessing on that seed. Thorns and thistles, the resistance, the obstacles to a seed or a work or an effort, an initiative or whatever. I'm just going to use the word seed, but you can replace that word with other concepts but now the resistance that would naturally be against that seed, when the blessing comes on it, those obstacles are diminished significantly, if not totally. Hallelujah. Do you understand? That's because now we've taken advantage through our knowledge of laws that supersede natural laws. 
in the natural realm, there is curses. Uh, but in him, we've been redeemed from those curses, the curse of the laws, the natural laws. Hallelujah, somebody. I hope, I hope you're getting this. Praise God. I believe you are. Now, God, according to God, he wants to make you rich. Now, when I say rich, people take that various places. Um, I don't think any of them are wrong. But your perspective, though, is either going to bring a shame or it's going to bring a deliverance. Um, you know, people who are ashamed of being rich <laughs> have been told to believe that, but you weren't told from the Bible. Uh, we have a covenant. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but we have a covenant that was made with Abraham. We are the children of that covenant. We are the recipients of that covenant. And he told Father Abraham, he said, the blessing is going to come on you and I'm going to make you rich and you are going to be a blessing to the nations. In fact, in Zechariah, we can see that this is part of that inheritance that that same covenant was going to make them a symbol and a source of the blessing. But God's going to make you rich, and he refuses to require toil on your part for it. Grace rejects works. Grace rejects works. Remember what he said? He said, um, it is a gift. It is not by works lest what anybody could take their boasting in their own efforts grace is something that is freely given to you it is an empowerment that you couldn't earn in fact it rejects the notion that you could earn it in fact we could say this that you don't receive grace if you're trying to earn it trying to earn it militates against the receptivity of the free gift so grace rejects works. Grace says this, I want to give this to you as a gift. Now, this is very important. Uh, not going to go this far today in our podcast or in our episode today, but we could go into Hebrews and we, we could look at the hard heart of unbelief that refuses to enter into a posture. Hebrews calls it a rest, but it's a posture of receptivity and the Bible calls that refusal. Uh, the, the Bible recognizes that our refusal to receive is called a hard heart of unbelief. And we could connect, and in fact, it does in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. It connects that thought with grace. He says, look, Jesus is our Sabbath. This is where you cease from your works and you receive the benefit of somebody else's works. That's Jesus Christ. He worked. We rest or we posture ourselves to receive what he worked for. This is what Proverbs 10, 22 is saying. The blessing, the blessing, it will make you fill in the blank. Okay, here it says rich, but the blessing will make you and it requires no effort on your part. That's what he's saying there. It requires no toil. It doesn't require the sweat of your brow. Jesus toiled so you didn't have to. Jesus worked so you could rest. Uh, we see this principle in John chapter 4. Jesus said, I've placed you into the labors of another. Where they sowed, you will reap. I mean, there's a lot of 
uh, implications to that passage, but one takeaway would be we have been placed into the labors of Jesus. He did the hard work. You and I, our work is the work of the harvest or receiving of the benefit or the gain of his labors. So again, grace rejects works. Um, There is an outworking of our faith, but we're not working to get. We are laboring to enter into rest. That's, that's what the Bible says. And we're mixing faith with this Hebrew, uh, Hebrews 4 adds. So again, grace says, I want to give you this as a gift. Now, when did God make you rich? Uh, legally, when you were born again, you inherited the wealth of your heavenly father. Now, I don't know about you, <clears throat> but I, I tend to think that uh, Jehovah Jireh, is pretty wealthy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, and I don't want to get into an argument of trying to quantify this, but you know, for for just for the sake of conversation, Jehovah Jireh, <clears throat> which is one of the redemptive, revelatory names of Yahweh, <clears throat> and uh, Jehovah Jireh means the Lord our provider. All right. Jehovah Jireh makes Warren Buffett, um, who's the Amazon guy, uh, who's the, uh, you know, Zuckerface, um, Zuckerberg, uh, Elon, you know, Prince so-and-so, oil tycoon so-and-so, Russian billionaire investor so-and-so, Mexican whatever um, investor guy. I mean, you know, it makes the Forbes list look like, you know, I mean, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, obviously you can see it's futile to draw this comparison, but what, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you think? Like, are, are you really considering that God, Jehovah is trying to keep up, you know, with these other guys, you know, like there's somebody naturally that has, you know, outgrown has developed themselves beyond Jehovah Jireh? No, that's so stupid. And so this argument that we born into a family, we are part of an oikos now, an ecosystem that has an economy uh, that somehow that is less than or is competing against any known natural economy on the face of the earth, how ridiculous Listen, your heavenly father is rich beyond what you and I could even uh, calculate. And uh, I, I mean, it is, it is so immeasurable. It's laughable to try and quantify it. But uh, people argue that all the time. And why would they argue that? Well, partly because um, wealth is a tool. Finances are tools. Riches are tools. Resources are tools. And I'm telling you, the enemy has fought against that and fought against that and fought against that. He has militated against that. He, he, he tries to get people to worship the tool rather than being focused on the productivity as a result of strategically utilizing these tools. The, the, the enemy has made wealth a idol or a god 
mammon personified, right? Uh, lusting after these natural temporal riches. Uh, obviously, the end game is just not how much money we have or jewels or any of this kind of stuff, but it is the strategic utilization of these tools in order to accomplish kingdom business. And God says, I will make you rich. And he covenantally applied the trajectory of that when he told Abraham, you will bless nations. And then later he was going to utilize his people, his covenant people as a light to the other nations in the world. One way he was going to do that is he was going to prosper them. There would be certain things that happened to their animals, to their crops. Remember, uh, if you go into Deuteronomy, you see how the blessing uh, marked them. I mean, it, it separated them. There was a division between them and the world. What was all? What was the end game of all of that? It wasn't this comparison of who's who's on the on the Forbes, uh, you know, one hundred or five hundred list or whatever. You know, the Forbes richest people and top ten richest people in the world. You know, that wasn't the end game. The end game was what is working on you that is different than what's working on us. And the answer to that would be we have a covenant with Jehovah. Jehovah is the one that has made these distinctions. Jehovah is the one that empowered me to reap a hundredfold in a time of famine. Do you understand? This, it's, not a, it's not a rat race. We're not trying to keep up with these people that spit on God's face every day. Totally atheistic, secular, de uh, uh, demonic, some of these folks are. That's a spit in God's face. And I'm telling you, the enemy will work with you to prosper you in order to draw away from God's covenant provisions and blessings. And some people, they're selling their soul to have a little bit more than the next guy. But I'm telling you, that's a strategy against God. God already said, if you will obey me, I will prosper you. Anything against that is a strategy of the devil. If you think you can meet your own needs, or if you think you're, you're going to prosper somehow outside of God's clearly prescribed and described ways, then friends, listen, you're working with an antichrist agenda. Uh, nothing wrong. But I'm telling you, there is so much accusation leveled against believers for even talking like this. Again, that is a strategy of the devil right there. Trying to guilt trip you, trying to condemn you, lie against you and say, well, all, all you're after is riches. All you want is just to be rich. You, you love money. Listen, there is, a, there is a warning, an admonition in the Bible that some have strayed from the faith because of their love of money. But I'm telling you, you can love a lot of stuff. I mean, you can get your heart away from God and onto a lot of things. Money is a tool. And God says, listen, if you obey me, I will increase you. I mean, that is as scripturally sound, dozens upon dozens upon dozens. I mean, entire covenants based upon it. Hallelujah. So what I'm saying is the enemy would love to get you to not even consider God's word on the matter, not even consider 
uh, how you are releasing your faith in these things because the devil doesn't want you to prosper. I, I mean, you can just look out in the world right now and let's just say of the top 10 richest people, can you, can you calculate their righteous acts? What are they doing with their money? Hallelujah. I'm not judging. Uh, I'm not coveting, but I'm just saying money itself can be used for unrighteous or for righteousness. The question is, is your heart in the hands of the Lord? Are you committed to, do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and everything that, that you have? Does even your finances testify of your love for the heavenly father? Do your finances testify of your commitment to Jesus Christ? That's the difference maker right there, friends. Hallelujah. And the devil would love to just beat you up over, over these things right here and to put fear in you of prospering. Hallelujah. Put fear in you that you'd be greedy. Listen, you need to deal with the greed now. Hallelujah. Deal with that now. Deal with it in your little. Deal with the fear right now in your lack. Deal with the selfishness right now in what you got so that God can promote you and you can be a mighty uh, uh, force for righteous acts around the world. Oh, thank you, Lord, for it. Hallelujah. I mean, we, we need some billionaire believers. We need some people that have billions of dollars that are forceful towards righteousness, that are using their finances and their influence to do great and mighty things across this globe. Hallelujah. Will you join those ranks? So um, legally, when you were born again, you inherited the wealth of your heavenly father. But the working out of this is connected to the renewing of your mind and the degree to which your soul prospers. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Zechariah 4, 6, and 7 in the Living Bible says, then he said, this is God's message to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power. That's man's might or man's ability, man's power. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, you will succeed because of my spirit. Hallelujah. Though you are few and weak. Listen, God, he's covenanted to us to do this. Psalm 37, 27 says, let the Lord be magnified. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants? Well, I magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. He takes pleasure in my prosperity. Zechariah 4, 7 goes on to say, therefore, no mountain, no mountain of debt, lack, shortage, whatever, whatever obstacle is facing you, however high it says, can stand before Zerubbabel, for it will flatten out before him. This is covenantal. And Zerubbabel will finish building this temple with many shouts of thanksgiving for God's what? His mercy, the living Bible says, declaring that it was all done by grace alone. Another translation says that he will shout to that mountain, grace, grace. Now, the amount of prosperity and blessing God wants to give you requires no input from you. A lot of people put limits on God but it really doesn't require any input. Wealth, or let me say it like this, 
when God defined wealth, he didn't ask your opinion on it. When God defined prosperity, he didn't ask Forbes, okay? I mean, I don't know how Forbes got the edge on defining all this for everybody, but when God defined it, he didn't ask our input. He, he applied his own definition to what rich means. He applied his own definition of what prosperity means. He applied his own definition to what abundance means. You know, in fact, he applied his own definition when he said overflow. Hallelujah. What, I mean, when you ask some people today, what does overflow mean? <laughs> Their definition, if we could picture it as a cup, the water or the liquid wouldn't even be to the top. And they say, well, overflow, overflow. I mean, if you could think of uh, this, this, well, you, if you're listening to me, you can't see it. But if you're watching me, you can see I've got this bottle of water here. Some people, their measure of prosperity, they've put limits on God. They've defined what is enough or what is, you know, excess. And uh, even if they, what is this? This is a 23.7 fluid ounce bottle. So if we were to quantify it like this bottle, and God started to put in overflow. This thing wouldn't even get over half full. And then it starts saying, whoa, 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 that's too much. That's, that's that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, because it overflowed their previous uh, quantifying. Like, you know, if you've grown up in poverty, it doesn't take much. And you feel like, man, you're living, you know, you're living, you're living large now. That's what I'm talking about. We put these definitions in place and be, sometimes these definitions limit God. When he says overflow, he meant overflow. Some people, it's not even up to the top yet, and they're screaming excess, or they're feeling guilty, or there's a condemnation. And the devil comes in and say, whoa, boy, aren't you greedy? Look at you. Aren't you greedy? Listen, I'm not the one to put the definitions on this. He already defined what overflow meant. He already defined what wealth, prosperity, and riches meant. He already defined what flourishing means. Look at this. Wealth goes way beyond buying things to fill our home. It goes beyond gas in our car. It goes beyond paying our electric bills. Wealth is defined by covenant and on the initiating party. Wealth, covenant wealth, covenant prosperity, covenant blessing. He didn't ask your opinion. He put the terms to the agreement on his end. He defined it on his end. He's the initiating party. He set what the definitions are. Look at this in Deuteronomy 8.18. This is powerful here. It says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. Who in the world would forget this? Um, those who have been tempted, those who have been deceived through uh, strategies leveled against them, those who have been lied to about the character and the nature of Heavenly Father, those that have been lied to to think that he's hard, that he is um, crushing, that he is a slave driver, those who have believed a lie against the truth, those are the ones who might forget that God is the one that gives us the power or the ability to get wealth. You know, as I thought about that, I, I thought, wow, how interesting that there is such a strategy 
against connecting God and prosperity or God and wealth, God and riches, God and abundance. What a strategy that's been leveled against him. Um, so it says, you shall remember, remember, you know, if you ever think about, man, how, how am I going to prosper? And oh, 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 sure, it's relative. You know, say, well, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to be a millionaire. You know, why? Why? I mean, why did? Why? Why not? <laughs> what are you associating millionaire or billionaire with that is causing you to think low of it, or to avoid it, or to feel condemned for consideration? Who who told you that being a millionaire was wrong? Who told you being a billionaire was wrong? Who told you that prospering was a bad idea? Where did that come from? And why is it okay for people that hate God to prosper, uh, but not you? And why are we looking to people to, quote, save the day who have no relationship with God? As far as we know, they have no commitment, no covenant. They're not born again. Why are we looking to them to solve problems, uh, but yet you and I are entertaining the idea that it would be wrong for us to be in that same financial situation? Who, who, who told you that? Well, I think you forgot. What did we forget? That it is God who will give us the power to get wealth. Now, the rest of this verse goes on to say something. Now, uh, I'm reading this out of the New King James. There's a comma after the word wealth. You could take the comma out and add the word S-O. So, Remember, it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability or the power to get wealth so that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Notice how the Living Bible says this. He says, always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you power to become rich, and he does it to fulfill his promise to your ancestors. Oh, man. Hallelujah. Oh, let's just say, because according to the Bible, let's set up this scenario here. That somebody, long before you came along, came into covenant with God. Okay? And that somebody, namely, could be like Abraham, say. And God made a covenant with certain conditions to Abraham. And he now, now he's down the line to you. And he's saying, look, I swore to your ancestor that I would give them the ability to prosper. And uh, so I'm looking for anybody who's still alive connected with that household in order to fulfill my covenant. Are you willing? And think about how many people are sloughing that off. I mean, they're looking at themselves, maybe their unworthiness, they're comparing their local church doctrine. Uh, well, what would my pastor think if I suddenly become prosperous? You know, uh, what will my neighbor think? What will my granny think? What? Yeah, you know, I mean, all these reasons. God is knocking on the door with an invitation that has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with the party that He came in covenant with, and He's saying, "I need to fulfill this covenant. I need to." prosper you i need to give you this ability to get rich because i came in covenant with somebody that you're related with 
Can you imagine God knocking on your door with this invitation and you coming up with some bogus reason as to why uh, you shouldn't be the recipient of it? The wealth that want, that God wants to give you has less to do with you and more to do with those through the good fight of faith endured and patiently believed for you and I that in Christ, all people on the earth might be blessed and redeemed from the curse. You might not want wealth. I mean, <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Listen, if you're one of those that struggles, I'm not laughing at you. Uh, I'm laughing at the devil because he has bewitched you, friends. I mean, you are believing a lie. I mean, and you may be saying, who in their right mind actively resists covenantal prosperity? Well, it's more than you realize. I can tell you that. Uh, There is an ongoing imagination of lack. Most, uh, I'm I'm not going to say most. I'm going to say a lot. There are a lot of people that have an ongoing imagination, a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. They see themselves barely getting by. They have forgotten that is it is God who gives them the power to get wealth, and he offers that to them with no toil. It is a provision of grace because he covenanted to do that with another party. You just so happen to be the lineage of that party that he made this covenant with, Father Abraham. Now, listen, you can argue all, all, all you want, uh, except against the clearly written word of God where the fruit of that covenant with Father Abraham, the Bible says that he was rich in livestock, he was rich in uh, silver and in gold, he was rich in land, I mean, this, this guy prospered and pro- and then Isaac, who was uh, Abraham's son, the reason why he was able to sow in a land of famine and reap a hundredfold is because that covenant was working on him. Had nothing to do with Isaac, had everything to do with his ancestor that came into covenant with Jehovah, Jireh. Hallelujah. You might not want wealth, but in honor of our ancestors who fought for it because they believed God said he wanted to do it, we should be open to receive it. By rejecting wealth or by putting our definition to it, we are limiting God from fulfilling his very own word. You know, people say things like, I don't need four houses. I don't need multiple acres. What would I do with three cars? I don't need $500,000. I don't need to go here or there. I don't need to own that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Various angles, various perspectives. These statements show our disrespect and ignorance to what Father Abraham believed God for. Listen, this covenant of flourishing is not a matter of need. It is a matter of honor. It is not a matter of need. It's not based on what you and I need. It's based on the covenant that he made with our ancestors. It's based on the plan that he has that there would be a people on the earth 
We're not talking about somewhere else. We're talking about a people on the earth that would be a symbol and a source of the blessing. It's a matter of honor. It's not a matter of need. Listen, it is the seed faith personified in the person of Jesus that these things are set aside for the righteous or for the household of faith. Listen, that that phrase, the household of faith. Look at this verse here, Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Notice this next word, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who, 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 who's the father of that household? Who's the father of that household? Abraham is the patriarch of all those who have come to righteousness through faith. We comprise the household of faith, the covenantal household of faith. And there was a covenant made with that father. There was a covenant made with that patriarch that God would give those through faith the ability to get wealth. And he even goes on to say, listen, I'm not even really doing this for you. For you. I, I mean, he loves to do it for you. I'm going to show you a verse that substantiates this, but he's not even really doing it for us. He did it for Abraham, say, specifically. I have to become aware of the oikos, the ecosystem which I've been born into, the economy in which I've been born into. I need to wake up and out of honor, I would receive the benefit and um, the blessing based on covenant. Now, let me give you a couple of verses and we'll wrap this up here. So we said that um, he's going to do this because he's honoring his own word. He is honoring his own word. He's fulfilling his own word. Father Abraham, you weren't there. We have the story. People want to argue against the clearly expressed, revealed uh, historical facts that surround Abraham. They want to argue that and they want to change definitions. Listen, I, I don't know why this generation is hell-bent on changing definitions, but it's clearly expressed, uh, okay? It is a, an eternal principle and revelation here. We don't need to change it. We don't need to adjust it. We don't need to alter it. We don't need to dilute it. Why would you do that? That's a strategy, friends. That's what I'm saying. That's a strategy of the devil. But we are the beneficiaries of a covenant that was made with our ancestors. Now, this is a good thing, friend, because you're, you're sitting here, you're looking at your education, you're looking at your current skill set, you're looking at this. It's not based on any of that. It's based on a covenant made with your ancestors. It has nothing to do with your degrees. You know, and some people, you got worthless degrees anyways. Hallelujah. You're going to spend the next 20 years paying off them stupid things. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with whose house are you in? What is the trajectory? Are you in the household of faith? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? These are the parameters of that covenant now. Do you, do you honor the love command? These are the parameters of of the covenant. If you're in that house, if you're of that house, it has nothing to do with your current situation. This covenant isn't be um, isn't because of anything you've, you've done. It's by grace. Hallelujah. Now, let me give you some scripture here. I already quoted John 4. He said, I've sent you to reap for that which you haven't labored. You got to be a part of that household of faith, though. 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel 9. 
Look at verse one. Now, uh, I'm just going to jump into this, but let me, let me get this quick framework here. So Jonathan knew that King David or David was anointed to be king. And he asked David if he would come into a particular type of a covenant. It's called hesed. It's an obligatory covenant. Jonathan asked David to obligate himself to the terms of the covenant. David says, all right, what are these terms? Jonathan said, I know you're anointed king. You will be king. Will you spare my family? David says, yes. He received his part of the covenant, his obligatory part of the covenant. That's Hesed. And here in 2 Samuel 9, uh, we're fast forward a little bit here. David is king, and he asks this question. Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul? Is there any? Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him has said covenantal obligations for Jonathan's sake? Now, listen, this, I'm substantiating what we were told in Deuteronomy chapter eight, that he has a covenant with your ancestors, but he's looking for anybody that's of that oikos, that economy, that ecosystem, that household of faith in order that he may show his obligation to. This is exactly what's happening here. And in 2 Samuel 9, 7, David said they located this, this boy, Mephibosheth. And David said to him, don't fear, for I will surely show you kindness or hesed. For, come on, whose sake? Your father Jonathan's sake has nothing to do with you, Mephibosheth. I made a covenant with your father, and because I stay true to my covenant obligations, you now have become the recipient of a covenant I made with somebody else. And he says this, I will restore to you all the land. Come on, somebody. All the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. Watch this continually. Mephibosheth was the recipient of, he did nothing. He was born into Jonathan's household. He didn't do anything. He was simply a son of Jonathan. And because David had a covenant with Jonathan and Jonathan passed on and David was still alive, he said, hey, is there anybody that is connected with this household that I can fulfill my covenant obligations to? Um, in Second Samuel nine, eleven, it says, or in Second uh, Samuel nine eight, then Mephibosheth bowed himself. Listen, he's a crippled boy. Man, he's messed up. Maybe you're messed up. Hallelujah. But are you of the household? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you born again from above? Then you're in the household. And Mephibosheth bowed himself before David and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And 2 Samuel 9, 11, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Listen, you have to see yourself a certain way here. You have to see yourself one way. And, uh, you may see yourself over here in toil, but you have to see yourself as the beneficiary 
of a covenant obligation that Jehovah made with your father. Now, listen, Abraham's dead. He's in heaven. But you and I are still on the earth. And there are sons being raised in this household. And there is a covenant of provision, of flourishing, of prosperity, of wealth. There is a covenant of blessing that is active for you and I right now. Do not miss it, friends. Take your place at the king's table. Hallelujah. Well, listen, we're out of time on the podcast today, but I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been strengthened. I hope you've been blessed. I hope your mind has been renewed. Don't allow the enemy to get you over here into lack and poverty. Listen, that is a strategy against your heavenly father. That is a strategy against Father Abraham. That is a strategy against Hesed. That is a strategy against the clearly revealed word of the Lord for those who are of the household of faith. Hey, listen, if we can agree with you in prayer, it would be our honor to do so. Reach out to us. Send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv or call us, 870-741-9099. Leave a message and somebody will get right back with you. It would be our honor to agree with you in prayer if that would be a benefit or a blessing to you. Hey, I want to give a big shout out again. We're on the air going around the world because of our friends and partners who have contributed in some way. I ask that you would partner with us in prayer, number one. But if you're so led, then there is a cost to this podcast if you would like to contribute and partner in that. Uh, several ways you, you, you can do that. You can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give, or you can text the give if you're in the United States, 84321. That's 84321 and follow the prompts. Or you can mail a check to P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602. Listen, friends, I've enjoyed this podcast today. Hey, and until next time, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. Be blessed, my friends.